0: Hey, how's it going? This is Steve Durr. Today we're going to read from Genesis chapter 31, starting in verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter in verse 55. And just to remind us where we're at in the story, Jacob is at his uncle's house. Wait a minute. His uncle's become his father-in-law because he married his cousins, Leah and Rachel, and their servants. And he's had a whole host of kids. This family is weird, (laughs) but it's the Bible. In any case, um, but here they are. He's had a whole host of problems with Laban, his father-in-law, uncle. And um, God has said, listen, you got to get out of there. Go back to your father's home. Go back to your land. And so they're going to make a break for it. They're going to make a run for it and head back home uh, and try to be undetected in their break for it. So let's pick it up on their great escape to get out of there. So here we go. Verse 22. Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead "'and he set up camp not far from Jacob's. "'What do you mean by deceiving me like this?' Laban demanded. "'How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? "'Why did you slip away secretly? "'Why did you deceive me? "'And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? "'I I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music "'accompanied with tambourines and harps. "'Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren "'and tell them goodbye?' You've acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home, but why have you stolen my household gods? I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. But as for your gods, see if you can find them and let the person who's taken them die. And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify it before all these relatives of ours and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household idols. Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's, and then the tents of the two servant wives, but he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the household idols and hidden them in her camel saddle. And now she was sitting on them. When Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, Please, sir, forgive me if I don't get up for you. I'm having my monthly period. So Laban continued to search, but he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became very angry, and he challenged Laban. "'What's my crime?' he demanded. "'What have I done wrong to make you chase after me, "'as though I were a criminal? "'You have rummaged through everything I own. "'Now show me what you found that belongs to you. "'Set it out here in front of us, "'before our relatives for all to see. "'Let them judge between us. "'For 20 years I've been with you,' caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every single stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning for your two daughters and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the Lord God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty he handed, but God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Well, then Laban replied to Jacob, these women are my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. These flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. And what can I do now about my daughters and their children? So come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. And so Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, Gather some stones. So they gathered stones and piled them in a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal, to commemorate the event. Laban called the place Jégar Sahadutha, which means witness pile in Aramaic and Jacob called it Galid, which means witness pile in Hebrew. Then Laban declared, This pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we have made today. This explains why it was called Galid, witness pile. But it was also called Mitzvah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, May the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sights. If you mistreat my daughters or if you marry other wives, God will see it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. See this pile of stones, Laban continued, and see this monument I have set between us. They stand between us as witnesses of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you. And you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nahor, to serve as a judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father Isaac, to respect the boundary line. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice to God there on the mountain, and invited everyone to a covenant feast. After they had eaten, they spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early the next morning and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. All right, well, talk about a rough relationship with the (laughs) father-in-law. You thought you had it bad. I mean, have you ever had a family get-together that goes south? You know, you're enjoying a nice family get-together and all of a sudden that issue comes up, that circumstance that you hope would never come up, and all of a sudden, all that baggage comes out. And all that stuff emerges. And sure enough, people let loose. That's what's happened here. Well, what happened? So God has encouraged Jacob to head back to Canaan, the land God promised to his ancestors, and things are getting dicey around you know, Laban's house, you know, Jacob's uncle, Jacob's father-in-law place. So they make this run for it to leave undetected because he knew that Laban would just not allow it. There's too much riding on this. And so they make a run for it, but Laban finds out. They chase him down. They catch up. But before seeing Jacob, Laban is clearly warned by God not to harm Jacob. Now, this is interesting. God himself warns Laban, not to harm Jacob. Why do you think God has to warn Laban not to harm Jacob? Because Laban's the kind of guy who would harm Jacob. <laughs> it's that simple. But here's the cool thing about that. God had earlier, when he, if you remember, when he was at a place called Bethel, where, remember this moment where Jacob has this moment where he says, surely the God is... The presence of God is here, and I didn't even you know, realize it. And in that moment, God promised to be with him and to protect him. God promised to protect him. And here, in this moment, God is keeping his promise to protect Jacob. I love this. So he's protecting Jacob, even in this moment. And then finally, when Laban and Jacob finally see each other face-to-face, they have a major confrontation. So God is protecting Jacob's life. He's not going to be killed in Laban's anger, but there's this major confrontation face to face. They clearly do not trust each other. They each share frustrations. They share complaints that have built up over 20 years of deceptive behavior on both sides. Laban is mad that Jacob ran off, accusing him of taking his daughters like prisoners of war, stealing the family gods, getting rich at Laban's expense. And Jacob is mad because Laban has been untrustworthy from the beginning, has treated Jacob like a slave, and has delivered a number of very uh, difficult uh, hardships on Jacob, and has treated him terribly. And they both agree, though, that Jacob's God has protected Jacob, and Jacob's God has prospered Jacob. No matter how difficult Laban has made it to try to become more and more wealthy on the back of Jacob, Jacob's God has frustrated those efforts and made Jacob prosper, no matter what Laban's tried to do. So the first thing I recognize in this story is that God has kept his promise. God has promised Jacob from the beginning to protect him and to prosper him. And God has done just that. In the face of uh, unjust conditions and dangerous situations, God has protected him from Laban. And in the face of unjust systems with Laban, he has prospered him. And sometimes I need to be reminded when I want to get my hands, uh, you know, metal into situations and try to control situations, I need to be reminded that God is the God who provides. God is the God who sees. God is the God who provides. God is the God who protects. God is the God who shows up and acts and can be trusted. So God was faithful to Jacob and protected him, even in the face of unjust circumstances. The other thing that just caught my attention was that Jacob's faith it's it's slowly seeming to become more personal early on it it didn't seem personal it was very much the god of my grandfather abraham the god of my father isaac and even in this story it's the god of my grandfather abraham the the the, the fearsome god of of my father isaac but you're just starting to get a glimpse of the you know my god my God, you know, the God. But it's, it's still not 100% personal for Jacob. It doesn't feel yet really personal for him. It's starting to get there. And I don't think it's all that terrible. I mean, it's wonderful to recognize the wonderful heritage of faith that Jacob has. And I think it's wonderful for you and for me to recognize if you have a heritage of faith. If you have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents or, or godparents or, or, or uncles and aunts or whoever in your family tree, if you look back, you have a heritage of faith that is wonderful, that is beautiful, that is incredible. It's something to be proud of. It's something to be thankful for, to have a wonderful heritage of faith, to have that deep faith and to recognize that influence in your life, to recognize the prayers that have been prayed before you, the example generation after generation before you. It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift for Jacob. It's a beautiful gift for you. It's a beautiful gift for me. And, I, and I'd imagine that there's some of you maybe even listening today that don't have that and you wish you did. And, and I would say this, although we may not all have that, And have been able to have that and have enjoyed that in our lives. We all are able to begin to provide that for others in our lives. You can begin that for those in your lives. And it begins when we make our faith personal. Because here's the deal. It's great if you have a great heritage of faith. But at some point in time, your faith has to become your faith. Jacob now is being changed. He has been in the process of being humbled and broken, and he's increasingly now discovering his relationship with God. Increasingly now, it's the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and now it's slowly becoming the God of Jacob. And my question for you is, is it the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? And is it, is he the God of you as well? Not just the God of your grandpa, not just the God of your dad or your mom or, or or some family member, the God of, of, of a pastor or a friend or a, or someone in your life, but your God, your friend, your King, your savior as well. And I'd invite you today just to even personalize your faith today and just say yes to him. And so I'm just going to pray, and I'd invite you just to say yes to him today. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I choose you. I turn away from the way I've been going, and I turn to you. I surrender my life to you. I say yes to you. Fill me with your spirit. I declare you as my king, my lord, my savior, my all. May you be my destiny, my heritage of faith. May you be my protector, my provider. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.